Some of you couples out there, do you ever get in some pretty big arguments? You ever, you ever get into some subjects where you just can't quite agree? Where you just, um, you, you get locked in on one? Years ago, Stephanie and I got in a, a, a discussion that, that we just could not find agreement. It was a part of our life that we, we both looked at completely different. And every time that time came up, I mean, we would just get at it with each other. You may not have noticed we're both type A personalities, and it would just, it could get pretty ugly. And so we were doing it for about the hundredth time on the same subject. And finally, something hit us to do differently. I don't know what, what hit us. Maybe it was the Lord. But we heard the Lord say to us, why don't you swap sides? And, and buddy, you take Stephanie's side and tell her how she feels and why she feels that way and what you did to make her feel that way. And Stephanie, you take Buddy's side and you explain to him what's going on with him. Well, for a few moments, we sat there in absolute silence because we were so locked into our sides, we couldn't see the other side. But then we stopped for a moment, and we did that, and I was able to say to her, this is what I did, and this is the way it made you feel, and this is why you feel this way about these events. And she was able to say, this is why you look at it in this event. And though even to this day, if we got into discussion about this, we would still not agree. We were able to understand each other. You see, understanding is such a key part of, of relationships to Maybe not even agree, but to go, you know what, I, I know where you're, you're coming from. I, I like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he says in there, one of those laws is, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And guys, when we talk today about where our country is and the divisions in our country, we need to practice this. We need to learn to put ourselves in the place of where someone else may be. Over the last few weeks, as we've seen more and more travesties, we've seen more and more African Americans who've been shot by police for whatever reason. We've seen police shot. I mean, one of the most ironic scenes in history is policemen, five white policemen gunned down who are protecting the right of other people to protest against the police. Oh, we've seen so many crazy things. And you get on Facebook, and it turns so ugly. And you see Christian people who just go at each other in ways that are very, very cruel often. Uh, all I've got to say is three words, and I guarantee you I could get an amazing amount of different responses. Black lives matter. And just those three words can bring out the best and the worst in people. So what do we do? We need to seek to understand each other first. We need to seek to tear down those barriers. And the way you do that is by first just seeing the other person's perspective. Here's how bad it's gotten. 80, 82% of black Christians, I saw this statistic this week, 82% of black Christians believe the recent police shootings of black is a part of a larger pattern of discrimination. 82% of them believe that. Some of you. But listen to the other side of this. We're not talking about people out there. We're talking about Christians. 72% of white Christians do not agree. Wow. Talk about a divide. How do we handle that? Today I want to talk about that. I want to ask you, as I talk about these things, please give me a lot of grace. 
because I guarantee you I'm not going to word everything right. I'm not going to say everything right. And this morning, I just want to tell you some stories. And I want us to look at a scripture that I think that would speak to every one of us in some way about what we do in the midst of this conflict. First of all, I want to tell you a story of, of one of my, my very best friends. You can see his picture coming up here. You see the word? That, there, there he is. His name is Wiley Mullins. I, I met Wiley when I was in college. I was a freshman. And he was a sophomore at the University of Alabama. He became one of my very best friends. One of the first times that I had a best friend that was an African-American. And uh, he was the first person in his family to ever attend college. And he was the most dedicated person I knew. In four years of college, he never missed a single class. If he were deathly ill, he would get off his bed and he would make it to class. He never missed a church service. I'll guarantee he's probably never drank a drop of alcohol. One of the very best people I've ever known. Remains a great friend. He now lives outside of New York City in Connecticut. He's worked for a couple major corporations in America. He'd gone on to Duke for, for law school, I mean, for graduate school and graduated there. He now owns his own company and just very successful, an amazing, amazing man. And he could tell me a lot of funny stories about growing up being black. He told me about being in Mississippi once and getting lost. And he was lost and couldn't find his way. And all of a sudden he looked at a car behind him and there were two people in the front seat with these big white hoods on. And he was scared to death. And he said, I would turn down this road, try to lose him. I'd turn down another road. I couldn't lose him. And finally, I thought, I'll just pull into this convenience store, you know. And I pulled in, and they pulled in behind me. And he said, I just put my head on the steering wheel. And I was just praying, God save me. And then, all of a sudden, he heard a tap on the window. And he looked up, and it were two nuns. <laughs> they, they were looking for directions also. He told me another story that's sort of funny and sort of sad. When he was in high school, he was going to a high school football game, and he was going through a city in Alabama that was known for being racist. There used to be signs, you know, for black people not to stay after sundown. This is true, true story. He decided the safest thing he could do would be to go to McDonald's, because probably that, that would be a safe place. So he went into McDonald's, went up to the counter. He gave his order, and this little white girl behind the counter said to him, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't serve Negroes. But she didn't use that word. Wiley looked at her and said, I didn't order a Negro. <laughs> he, he was so very quick, and I loved him. But he also told me a lot of sad stories. When he came to the University of Alabama, he rode down the road, and he saw all those beautiful fraternity houses. And he thought to himself, I'd like to live in one of those houses one day. And then he found out for no other reason than the color of his skin, he could never be in one of those houses. And I'd see him go places, and I'd see people reject him, and I'd see him walk right through those barriers. Really quite amazing. He now lives in a small town in Connecticut, beautiful house, has a place in the Berkshires. He's, a, he's one of only three black people in his city. So I called him this week to ask about this message. He said, buddy, I think things have gotten a lot better, but... I'm one of three people, black men in, in my city. He said, I had a, a flat tire the other day, and I stopped on the side of the road to fix my flat tire. And the policeman came and asked me for my license because he didn't believe I belonged in that city. That's sad. And that taught me a lot about trying to see it from somebody else's viewpoint and trying to understand because he was an amazing, righteous man 
who yet had experienced awful discrimination. But what I loved about him is he just walked right through it. He never acted like it was even there. Many of you have had to do the same thing. I'm thinking also about the, the O.J. Simpson story. How many of you watched the 30 for 30 special Made in America? If you hadn't watched it, you need to watch it. I can still remember where I was when that Bronco was riding down the, the freeways in, in L.A. and Simpson was running. I can still remember where I was when the trial was finally over and the verdict came back and they acquitted him. It's one of the greatest travesties of justice I think I'd ever seen. But if you watch this special, it'll give you at least some kind of understanding of what happened behind that story, of the relationships between white people and black people, not in Montgomery, Alabama, but in Los Angeles, California, over generations. And and you would hear some jurors who would basically confess, the reason we came to this verdict was payback. It was payback for Rodney King. It was payback for this. There was a lot of bitterness a lot of misunderstandings. And yet we learn from those things, don't we? We learn how people think. Whether we agree with the way they think or not, we learn. This week I've been trying to reach out to some policemen, trying to understand how they feel. And what I hear in many of their voices is a great deal of fear because what they want to do is just get home safe at the end of the night. And yet in the culture we live in and all that's going on, they feel this extreme pressure when they're out on the streets making very little money, and yet they have to make split-second decisions that are so very difficult, and so many of them feel labeled by what's been going on. I talked to a, a policeman I thought could give me some really good perspective because he was from mixed race. On one side of his family, his grandmother was white. His grandfather actually told me was black and a Jew. And on the other side of his family, his grandmother was Cajun and his grandfather was Indian. And he said to me, the worst thing about growing up is that I was not accepted in any culture. I wasn't accepted in the white culture. I wasn't accepted in the black culture because I wasn't black enough. So he says, I've seen it all. And he loves his job as a policeman because he believes above all he's a Christian policeman. He calls it policing with a heart. And he sees some of the things that the police are being charged with. He says, you're not seeing what's going on beyond these short videos. What happened before, the attitudes that are possessed there. He said, I've experienced it as a policeman in both ways. He said, if I go through a car wash, he says, going through a car wash the other day, and the people saw I was coming through in my police car, and they immediately waved me past where you you paid and said, oh, we want to honor the Montgomery police and you get to go through free. He said, then another day I went through a car wash and I watched them scrub down another car before I got there. I paid, I got there, and then they barely touched my bumper. He said, I've seen it. He said, I was in downtown Montgomery a few weeks ago when there was a Black Lives Matter protest. He said it really got tense. It started on Commerce Street. It went up Dexter Avenue, and the words were getting more and more inflammatory. They finally got at the foot of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church where Martin Luther King preached. And he said, I was scared. Something really bad was about to happen. The police were tense. The crowd was tensed. And then an African-American minister got up and said, let me say to you, policemen, we appreciate you. And we don't believe only black lives matter. We believe all lives matter. 
And then he said something. He said, would we all join together in a circle and could we all hold hands and pray? And my policeman friend said, that's against protocol. We should never do that. We're letting our guard down. But for some reason, we felt we needed to do it. And there at the bottom of those steps, we held hands and we prayed and everything changed. You see, we've got to seek to understand what that feels like to be a policeman, to be questioned on every corner. We've also got to understand what it's like to be an African-American growing up in this culture. I've talked to a lot of African-American young men this week. I've heard this story over and over. When I was growing up, my mother told me, if you're ever pulled over by the police, keep your hands on the wheel, make sure you don't reach in your glove box, say, yes, sir, no, sir. One told me, said, you know, I thought my mom, she's just living from her era. I mean, she's just, she's just reacting from the past. He says, now I believe what she said was not just for them, it's for me. I talked to a young man here in this church. If I gave his name, you'd probably know him because he's been a great leader in our campus ministry for years and now he's out of our campus ministry and very, very accomplished young man. I asked him how he felt. He said, I'm really worried. I'm worried for me. I'm worried for my brother. I'm worried for my sister. If I were pulled over, I don't know what I would do. He says, please tell the church, when I say black lives matter, I don't, I'm not trying to say they're the only lives that matter. But I am crying out to be valued. I just want to know that my life is valued. And when I hear white people diminishing what's going on in our country today, what I hear through that is they don't really believe there's a problem. I live in it, there is a problem. Quotation, I don't want there to be white guilt. I just want my white brothers and sisters to engage with me and talk to me about it. We've got to have that kind of understanding. Well, let's go now to Scripture together. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. And I want us to walk through verses 14 through 21. Because here's where the Apostle Paul is talking about this battle between love and hate. And he's talking to Christians about the way that we treat the outsider. And I want to do something today. We're going to go through this passage at least two times, maybe three. But what I want you to do is what is called as a spiritual discipline, reflective reading. And the idea is you read a passage two or three times. The last time you read it, you underline what you think God is saying to you. And then you use that as the basis of your prayer. If you have your bulletin today, the passage is there where the sermon outline normally goes. And then by the time we get to the third reading, I'd like you to be asking, God, what are you saying to me? Because, guys, what we want to be this morning is part of the solution, right? And not part of the problem. Let's start in verse 14. Let's walk, first of all, verse by verse through this passage and study it. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The apostle Paul would say to us today that the travesty going on in our nation is not a time to score political points. It's not a time to offer opinions. It is a time to offer prayers. That's the solution. I remember when the police shooting of Greg Gunn happened. 
here in our city. And what, a, what an answer to prayer that something didn't explode here in Montgomery, Alabama. I got a phone call from a group of pastors who gathered in downtown Montgomery, African American and white, and they gathered for no other purpose than to pray for the protection of our, our city. There was not a single person there who wanted something bad to happen or some kind of riot to break out where people were hurt. And I, I'm telling you, I wish you could have heard those preachers pray. It was a beautiful thing because they knew the answer to what's going on is not to us to put some cruel Facebook post. It's not for us to get angry. It's us to bless those who we may even see on the other side. It's for us to pray for them. Then look at verse 15. What a beautiful verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The thing that binds us more than anything else is when we can feel the same emotions. You know, the sign, I believe, of a great church is not the number of people sitting in the pews, but it's the emotions that bind us together. Can we laugh when something's funny? Can we rejoice when something great happens? Can we cry when there's something bad that's going on? The people in your life that you feel the closest to are the people who have felt what you are feeling. You know, the word the Bible uses for this is the word compassion. The Bible says over and over that Jesus was full of compassion. The word compassion best defined is this, your pain in my heart. That somehow, though I may not understand completely, I may not be where you've been, I still feel it. I thought the illustration that Paul used last week in his sermon about our, our former brother, uh, uh, well, our brother, but our passed away brother, Willie, who taught us all so much about that line when Willie said to Paul, you don't understand what it's like to be black. You don't understand what it's like to be on drugs. I thought that was so, so riveting. And yet that brings to us the challenge. The challenge is somehow I've got to put myself in your place. I've got to not just think about who I am and my background. I've got to put myself so far into what you're doing, so deep into your emotions. As I think we've all become so defensive that this, this passage becomes impossible for us to practice in this situation. Because what's happening in our world today, what's happening in our country today, <clears throat> it's not a cause for anger. It's a cause for weeping. It is a time for you and I to be sad with our neighbors over what's going on. And then verse 16 gives us some really good instructions. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Guys, what keeps us back from making progress in this area, let's just be honest, it's pride. Most of us, let's just be really blatantly honest right now. Most of us, black and white, have grown up with some kind of racism in our past. We've been taught it growing up, or we've been around it, or we've just felt it for whatever reason. We walk in a store and we begin to look around and count the number of people who are our color and the number of people that are another color. And what I hear God saying to me is you need to humble yourself. 
You need to get rid of the pride. It's okay for us to go, you know what? The way I've looked at white people has been wrong. The way I've looked at black people has been wrong. It's not of Christ. And then I love when he says, associate with people of lowest estate. What he's saying, you reach out and you befriend the people that are different than you. We don't just sit here and get in our caps and get in our gated communities. We make efforts to bridge that gap. There's been a supper club going on in Montgomery since the 60s when race relationships were the worst between a group of black and white people who just have met for supper for decades now simply to say it's going to be a whole lot harder to hate each other if we know each other. Because what proactive steps are you and I taking? In the New Testament, what radically changed the culture is that it was a church built not on these distinctions. As Ryan so well put it, the the walls were broken down. And, And the craziest thing happened is that you had masters and slaves sitting beside each other in a church, and it began to destroy slavery. It's powerful. And Paul says that's the kind of bridges that we need to build. And then he says this, verse verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. You see, uh, vengeance is a natural desire in it. When we feel like someone's done us wrong or done our people wrong, the most natural desire is to get even. But Paul's going to say, that's God's job. Look at verse 18. If it is possible, he's not asking us to do the impossible. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Try to build those bridges, even when it doesn't look right, even when it doesn't feel right, even when you don't ever agree. The coolest thing happened, I think I mentioned this in a sermon months ago, but uh, on Facebook once, a classmate of mine who graduated Lee High School the same year I graduated Lee High School was really upset when the governor took the Confederate flags down around the Capitol. And he just went off on it, really went off on it. And everybody was joining in, and it was, it was getting pretty rough. And I, was, I, I didn't want to get involved in it. I tried to stay out of those things. And then a, a black classmate of mine, a, a dear, wonderful Christian lady named Lydia, she jumped in the discussion. And they got ugly with her. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't stand beside. So, so I jumped in the discussion and I said, you know, guys, I grew up proud of the Confederate flag. My heart was broken when the Lee band couldn't play Dixie anymore. But I'm going to tell you, if it hurts my sister Lydia, I will give up the Confederate flag and Dixie any day of the week. And, you know, there was tension. But here's the coolest thing that happened. This guy who posted the original post who vehemently disagrees with me about this, got married about three months ago, and he called me and asked me if I could do his wedding. And his father, who is the, like, president of the Sons of the Confederate Soldiers here, was there, but it was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. If it's possible, live at peace with all men. Because there may be some principle at time where we can't live at peace with people. There may be some times where we've got to take some stands in the crazy culture we live in that are not going to be peaceable. But if possible, Paul says, you seek to live at peace with all men. Now let's keep looking. Verse 20. 
On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And you go, yes. If I'll just be sweet and nice to him, I'll get him. You ever, ever struggle with this passage? Okay, if, if I love my enemy, I'm going to heap, man, not just a few. I'm going to heap some burning. I'm going I'm to burn right through his hair, right through his skull, man. I'm going to get him. Is that what Paul's saying there? I don't think he's talking about vengeance here. He's already said that. What Paul is saying is, when we begin to love the people who don't love us, when we begin to pray and seek the best for our enemies, when we respond not with hatred but with love, it begins a conviction in their mind that could change them. You see, you may react with vengeance and break someone's spirit, but you react with love and you may simply break someone's heart. That's the greatest power we have. And then he sums it all up in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Now, this is a chance for us to overcome evil with good. Now, here's what I want to do. Screen guys, if you can go back to the beginning of that passage. If you don't have your Bible with you, if you'll take your outline out right now. I want to read back through this passage. I'm going to read through it rather slowly. And while we read through this, I want you to be asking God what he's saying to you. It's a great way of reading the Bible. And what I'd like you to do is I want you to, to underline what you hear God saying to you. Well, what, what do you need to walk away from Landmark today from his word to help you respond to the people around you. And maybe the situation in your life has nothing to do with the issue we're talking about today, but it has to do with some other relationships in your life. What is God saying to you? So um, let me read through this again. You underline what you think God is saying to you. In fact, let me pray. Lord, I thank you that we are in a church where we can have this discussion. God, God, we want to carry on the work of your son, which was reconciliation between God and man, which also led to reconciliation between man and man. If we think our divisions are, 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 are difficult, they probably don't compare to those that Jesus broke down in the first century. So Lord, as we read this passage again, we're asking you to convict us, to speak to us. Father, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to me? How does my life need to look different? How does my attitude need to be different? Please reveal that to us right now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, 
What have you underlined? Because, guys, that, that's what I'm calling on you and I to do. Let's respond to this scripture. You know, Paul has to write this because there's a need. Every time you see something written in the Bible, it's because they have an issue that needs to be dealt with. They don't just write things to write things. So we're not the first people to deal with love and hatred and discrimination and looking down on people and not associating with people. We're not the first. But here's the cool thing. We are called upon by God to be a part of the solution. So where does it start? It starts with us simply understanding. It goes back to that discussion I shared with you that Stephanie and I had together when we had to take the other person's viewpoint. And that's your challenge to unlock yourself and me to unlock myself from my pride and simply be willing to go, what would it feel like to be this person and to watch the news? I mean, I watch the news through my lens. They watch the news through their lens. What would it be like to become a part of the solution? I want to thank all of you here that are African-American members of our church because I know it's not easy for you and you probably even get somewhat persecution to be a part of a majority white church. I want to thank the, the, the white people in this church who care so much to bridge this gap to go, we want our church to be a place where those things don't exist. I think some of the people in our church that are leading the way in the most powerful way is, is those that are adopting and are beginning to have families that are of mixed colors. And I've talked to some of them over the last few weeks, and they're nervous for their children and what they're going to face. I want to thank those of us that are policemen that are out there every day on the line, serving our community, doing the right thing, responding in the right way. You see, guys, when we have this ministry of reconciliation, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus handed this ministry to us. If we came, claim to be Christians, you can't say about this topic today, well, I just don't want to get involved in it. I just feel the way I do. No, no. As a Christian person, we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's our job. So let's be part of the solution. My favorite line in the middle of all of this came from David Brown, who's the police chief. You see his picture of Dallas after that awful, awful rampage in Dallas. Here's what he said. We're hiring. Get out of the protest line and put in an application. We'll put you in a neighborhood and help you resolve some of these problems. What a great call. Yeah, we got a problem. Become a part of the solution. And today as we sing together, Maybe you've been hurt by discrimination, even the church, and you need our prayers. Maybe you know deep in your heart today, simply by the way you respond to this, that there is some racism within you. Most of us have some. We've got to be honest. And you need the prayers of the church. Or maybe today you've got a problem going on in your life, and you just need some folks to love on you. Maybe it's a sin happening in your life, and our, our, our response to you is not going to be to hate you. It's not going to be to judge you. It's going to be to love you. If you need the prayers of this church before we walk out of these doors to go love this world, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?